Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide to find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm D.S. Brown, your host, and together we will Etch the Edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and here we are again. What do we do now, and how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work to truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog, small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, we suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort, have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. On this episode, we'll be talking with two dynamic leaders from Gwinnett Educators for Equity and Justice. We'll have with us Ariane Montgomery and Anthony Downer. In closing the ideological divide, these two educators stand on the front lines, pushing a real American agenda of justice and equity, even in the midst of a pandemic. Stay with us, and we'll be back in a moment. this episode of Edge the Edges. Today we have two very special guests with Gwinnett Equity for Justice, Arian Montgomery and Anthony Downer. And I just want to say before I let them speak and introduce themselves that these are two movers and shakers. They're doing the right thing for all of us. Now, I'm definitely in a much older age bracket. I just got through complaining about that, how old they make me feel and they're so young and engaged. But people, I really want you to pay attention and listen to what these folks have to say because they're getting it done. They're doing the work of the people. They're doing the work for our children. They're building a foundation and a path for the future. And it is critically important. Please give them your attention. Arian, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Hi, you guys. My name is Arian Montgomery. I am 29 years old. I am a Guanitian. I graduated from Brooklyn in 2009. I went to Clark Atlanta for my first two years, and then um, I ended up graduating from Georgia State with my undergrad degree in political science pre-law with a minor in African-American studies. And then I went back once I started teaching and got my master's art in teaching in the concentration secondary education with a concentration in political science. Absolutely outstanding. Just a little bit, huh? Just a little bit. Anthony, you're up, young brother. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you. all Well, my name is Anthony. I am a native Guanitian as well. I grew up in Norcross, Lower area. That's the north side for you folks that don't know. Um, I, I also graduated from the University of Chicago with a degree in political science, and I came back here to teach. Um, I'm teaching at Peach Ridge High School uh, and also just got my MAT and my Master of Arts in Teaching. Um, and world history, secondary, um, edu- uh, secondary social studies. Um, excited to be back home. It, it, it seems like t- these three years have flown by, but I'm just b- glad to be back where it all started. 
Absolutely. Well, the years certainly do fly by, don't they, brother? Um, <laughs> I'm here to tell you. But um, the, the point that we really want to dive into, we're just going to jump right in. You guys are here, you're engaged, you have what it takes. And in, in our county, within education, there are things that have to be addressed. Now, we're right in the middle of a global pandemic, and that brings a different variable altogether to the situation. And it's a heavy one. And you guys are working on that. So I want you to talk about that before we get into the heart of what Gwinnett Equity for Justice is really all about. So please, um, Anthony, why don't you go ahead and, and start, off, start us off this time. What's, what's going on around this, this COVID corona thing when it comes to teachers and students? Absolutely. What we're seeing uh, nationally is just a level of uncertainty. Um, we're seeing variability throughout the nation as to what plans we have. Right here at home in Gwinnett, we know we have the highest amount of positive cases of corona uh, in the state of Georgia. Um, but we have a leadership that is unwilling and unable to face the reality. Um, they're making political, political decisions that are putting our lives at risk. Um, just today, I got my PPE, um, and we just started the Monday of the, the first full week of school. And, and between getting my PPE and logging in with my kids, I mean, you can hear it on their faces uh, or hear it in their voices, see it on their faces, the anxiety. Um, we can barely get through world history content, um, day two of teaching uh, content, because um, uh, they're focused on other things. They understand that, that their lives are at risk. They understand, uh, many of them understand their teachers' lives are at risk. Uh, that's, that's obviously impacting content and instruction. Um, and and it's, it's not, it's not, a coincidence how we got here. It is not a coincidence. Let's be 100% clear. Leadership, leadership starts from the very, very top, and we're talking about global leadership. So um, unfortunately, the United States is leading globally in disaster uh, and in chaos um, because it was coming out of the White House and is reaching us all the way down to the schools, the classrooms of Gwinnett County. And you know, it bears taking a moment to, to let that settle, right? I mean, you said a profound thing. You said it fast. You put it out there, but it needs to be said again and again. The, at the seat of power, the most powerful country on the planet, we have, we just got to call it what it is. You got to call a thing a thing, right? It's piss poor leadership. Yep. And that leadership stretches all the way down into your classroom at Peachtree Ridge, and it directly impacts your day-to-day. -day. That's right. That's right. That's heavy. I mean, to have the President of the United States, the Secretary of Education of the United States, calling for students to return to the classroom, uh, dismissing expert advice by saying the best thing for their mental health is to be in the classroom. It's egregious. I mean, I, I don't know what to, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, we got some other words we could use. But yeah. we are <laughs> and, and by the way, this is a podcast, so if y'all want to use a word or two, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Um, because the other thing we have to get, we have to be bad. And I, I want, and, and I encourage my fellow educators to wallow in that anger, even if it's just for a day. You know, I want them to express, because if we're not going to draw the line here, we're not, we have kids coming back in the building next Wednesday. Yeah. Next Wednesday in, in education world, that's tomorrow, <laughs> right? So we have to be angry uh, uh, about something. If it's not this, when lives, when, when health is on the line, I honestly don't know what we're supposed to be angry at. I don't know what will get uh, teachers up if not this. I hear you. Aaron, please chime in. Give us your experience. 
Um, right now I'm in this experience of shock. I'm scared. Um, one of my best friends just lost her best friend to COVID. She was 30 oh, wow. years old. With me being 29 years old, um, I really, at first, I guess, my first mind didn't put me in the category of being at risk. It's not until I see people that are my age, even the 15-year-old that had no um, pre-existing conditions recently um, pass away from this so suddenly, it starts to make it seem as if we're walking into a death sentence every time we walk into the classroom. Another thing that has been really recently weighing on my spirit is I've talked to certain teachers, even within my building that has to retire. One of the teachers has a 91 year old mother, mother that she's taking care of at home by herself. And she just cannot risk her mother being um, sick because this could be a fatal, um, this virus could be fatal to her and her mother. Um, she told me that she has to re retire four years early. And with retiring four years early, she's taking a $1,300 pay cut every single month. Now, we're not, we're thinking about our livelihood. Now we're throwing teachers into the fire. We're giving teachers no other choice. We're giving students no choice. You're asking teachers to not only um, make sure they stay healthy, but balance such a hectic schedule. Now I'm in meetings and they're asking me, how are you gonna teach virtually and teach the students in class at the same time? Make sure you have these grades in. It literally took me, and I hate to, be a nag about it, but it took me eight hours on my Sunday night just to plan for a whole week of virtual learning. And it's because I love my students. I love what I do. Um, but I do not like the time. And like Anthony said, I do not like the leadership. It says, if we're thinking about the founding of the United States government, I'm, I'm calling for a social contract theory. They are not withholding their social contract and it's time to move on. I'm calling for the resignations of those that cannot place students, teachers, and all stakeholders' life um, at the forefront. If you can't do it, then you need to move on. You are not supposed to be up there in office. So I'm very angry, like Anthony says. I'm doing a lot of self-reflection these days, and it just gives me such tormented um, feelings. Um, my feelings are everywhere. My feelings are with my students that do still do not have one-to-one -one devices at home, still do not have reliable Wi-Fi. And I just, and then we're asking them to come into this school. And if they don't have Wi-Fi, if they don't have these one-to-one -one devices, how do we know they have adequate health care? How do we know that they're going to be protected when they come back to this school? Um, and I am absolutely worried. Um, that is at the forefront of my heart at this moment. Mm -hmm. Wow, that you, you just unpacked a lot, Aaron. You, you really did, and I'm, I'm really sorry for your loss. Condolences and, and power and positivity and prayer to you and yours on that note, for real. Um, I, I want to lean in a little bit because, again, you unpacked a lot. I was going to ask you literally what it feels like, right, to, to share, you know, what the day is like when you're in the classroom. It's just you. You know, that, that's a moment of action and activity, but there's nobody out in the chairs. But before we go there, I want to touch on something first that you just highlighted. Um, and it's powerful. It's big. And we're talking about accountability. Leadership is not showing the appropriate level of accountability, and we really do have to call them out. At the end of the day, what do the two of you want them to do? What is it that you're calling for? Just put it out there and say it for what it is. 
Right. I, I think one big definition of leadership is taking in opinions and then in perspectives and then making the decision. We have seen that our leader, our top leader, the CEO, superintendent of this school district is unable to do that. And that's because he doesn't have a community mindset, of course. He doesn't, he, he's not, you know, of this community truly um, because then a leader would do something like what Fulton County did or DeKalb County who have brought diverse shareholders together um, from across the community, knowing that whenever you send someone into the, a school building, you are putting the community at risk neighbors, families, even strangers at the grocery store. And so they've brought the community to the table and the community has set forward benchmarks that the county has to reach when it comes to the COVID situation before transitioning back into the school building. That's exactly how you have to do it. So I actually commend the leadership from, for coming out with a pretty thoughtful transition plan. They got, they got the dates wrong. The dates are very political. I mean, those are to appease a population of parents and community members, and even the governor himself. I mean, it is not realistic. Let's get realistic. And if uh, Jay Alvin Wilbanks were to actually connect with the community instead of the Chamber of Commerce, he would understand what the community needs. And we've talked to uh, uh, organizations, we've talked to all kinds of shareholders from the north to the south of the district, and they are, they've been slapped in the face that the superintendent didn't come to them and bring to them. So we have school board members that didn't know that the uh, the decision, the change in the decision had been released. Not community, man. I mean, it, it's not community. So that's what we're, we're asking for community engagement above all else. Wow. And, I, and I'm glad you called it out, called him out, J. Alvin Wilbanks. Um, he goes to the chamber instead of the people. Yep. And well, that, that clearly speaks to politics and money. Yep. And we do understand that. We understand that that's how things often enough operate. That's usually the system. But you're grinding up real people's lives in the system. And this is going to turn a lot uglier before it turns better. You know, I know you guys are out there and you've seen it. I see it when I go through the streets of Gwinnett. And you see a line of demarcation between North and South for whatever reason. But on this side, you see people having concerts and drinking beer and they're going shoulder to shoulder. And to your point, that's the constituency that he's, he's kind of feeding into. But I'm going to ask you guys a pointed question and, you know, give, give, me a, give me your perspective on the answer when push comes to shove. Because like you said, it's, it's Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we've got a board meeting on Thursday. What do you think he's going to do? I mean, go ahead. Let, let, let us know. What, what, do you, what do you think he's going to do? I think that a reasonable decision will be made only if he's being pulled out kicking and screaming. I do not think that he is representing the masses or the constituents. I don't think they're considering um, social distancing. I don't think they're considering anything but money. And so at the end of the day, God's will will always be done. And so I believe that we are going to be on the side of the righteous. Everybody is going to be okay. Amen. But I do believe. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> swinging back and forth. Yes. We're okay. about to get to the hammock. Come on, we're not going to. It's is rising up, and hopefully, it's going to the anointing is going to come right back. No, back. we shall overcome. Okay, Amen. we shall. But I do believe that he there is going to be a fight at the top. You can clearly see a division between the school board members as well as the superintendent who he who is in his corner. 
So I do believe if these, these school board members know what's best for them, they will make decisions based off what their constituents' needs are, based off scientific evidence, and hopefully we can come up with a consensus that works for everybody. Absolutely, 100% yeah. absolutely. And, and, and Anthony, I want you to chime in on this one too. When we're looking outside our county, right? Because, you know, we're in Gwinnett, <laughs> we see Paulding, and, and we see and we see Cherokee. Cherokee, yep. You know, th- th- this is exactly. It's not like it's magic or Harry mm-hmm. Potter uh, uh, ball of, of of you know future prediction. We all knew it was going to happen, and it mm-hmm. it happened. You know, when you guys talk to each other and, and you engage on this topic, wh- what are you saying? What do you think? Because uh, to be quite honest, outside of your system, a man like me, I look at it. And I, you know, I'm flabbergasted. I understand human behavior. I've had quite a number of years on this earth, and I get it. But you know, let's be honest. It's like, damn, right? Really, yeah. <laughs> it's happening anyway. That's 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 absolutely correct. I think I think part of it is that the situation is is more complicated than we're we're, and that's why I'm glad that we're having this interview because. We do have a lot of parents in the South Gwinnett District, the Shiloh District, the Burkmar District, the Meadow Creek District, or clusters who are pushing for school to go back, um, for their students to go back face-to-face. There are um, um, a lot of low-income parents and working-class parents, um, uh, parents with, with um, special ed students, um, especially who have uh, audit- auditory or visual impairments or other really rigorous needs um, who are asking their their kids to go back in person. Uh, And I think that's what's complicating part of the decision. So when you have school board members that didn't have to make the decision, I think for them, it's a little bit more complicated. I do think um, for even Everton Blair, he's he's feeling the pressure. We don't hear that he's feeling it for both sides, but he is um, um, when it comes to the constituents. I think what's going to happen, my best, my best guess is that um, we're going to put a lot of pressure on them for this Thursday. We have a protest um, coming up. We have dynamic speakers like Mr. Brown um, who, are, who are showing up again. We annoy the heck out of them when, they, when we have to elongate a meeting, when they have to say after 10 p.m. So we're going to keep the pressure up. Um, but I think what obviously will happen is that we will have to push back the date that either we we become the next Paulding or Cherokee, yeah. we make the dumbass decision to send our kids back just to just to close schools. Either we're that embarrassing and listen, under this under this superintendent, I guess anything could go. Either we're that embarrassing or we do by this Thursday make the decision, the tough decision, hey parents, we are gonna have to push it back. I know we made this decision four or five four or five times already. Here's the next change. Here's the here's the next <laughs> Um, and I, and I, I do I do believe that with this board, we will they will have to make some hard decisions. They will do it this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, when I think about it, and, and to your point, you've got folks that are running the socioeconomic spectrum that really have a need to put their children back in some kind of setting. Right. And, uh, and I, I understand that. And I always have. What always troubled me and what really just quite literally pissed me off was I never saw a plan. I never saw a plan that would go out there and actually address that need because you can open some buildings and you can social distance, right? If you give those folks first dibs, you know, they get first up at bat 
while the rest of us who may have means have to keep our children out. You know, that, that, that is an option when you look at the people and you look at the data. But they didn't, if they did consider it, they're not talking about it. We don't get the transparency like you, you mentioned. And, you know, you guys are closer to the, to the line than I am. And I'm going to ask you, have you seen a plan? Because I still haven't seen a plan. I go out there and I check the site every day. No plan. Very thorough back to school um, suggestions, recommendations, yes. no plan. In fact, when we talk about oh, what our teachers talk about, I have heard more intelligence, more creativity, more collaboration from my colleagues, some of them with just as few teaching experiences I, I have, who are putting out more plans than the district has. And so, again, when you don't listen to those on the very front line, I think you're getting at it is that these folks have been, we were seeing how removed from the community and removed from the classroom they are, that they can't even make the decision that is gonna impact those on the very front line. When you have that disconnect, any decision you make is not gonna be a, a good decision. That's just a shame. Erin, anything you wanna add? Yes, I will say that Will Banks is not a great politician at all. <laughs> um, the interview that he had with the students, where the students asked if he was going, directly asked him if he was going to come into the classroom and see what's going on with the teachers. And he said, you know, um, teachers teach and I have my job. That is not my job. <laughs> and just to be so, and, and to have such uncouth on recording is just yeah. it's my mind it's like yeah. this is going to be out here forever and you do not care that you are out of touch with the community and not only are we teachers but we are constituents so therefore i pay your salary indirectly and you have the nerve and the uncouth to get up there and say such hoopla to me is is really is really flabbergasting to say the least and I, I just, I can't fathom um, him just coming through with some am amazing um, speech because anytime he, he speaks, it seems very censored. It seems very like he gets the questions beforehand. Um, he does not like people to go off script. Um, and Gwinnett is very, very big with controlling the media. I will say that. Um, and I think that is very important as well as we look to these cases, um, look at these media, um, I guess, articles that are coming out. I think we have to take it with a grain of salt because we just don't know the angle. Sometimes, you know, you know, I'm not in that pay, pay uh, lane. Or <laughs> I know certain things, I mean, sit up here trying not to be a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, well, what if they are? Because <laughs> I think they might be trying to in us teachers and and um i really think there's a situation where they're trying to thin teachers against parents um i will speak on that i have talked to plenty of parents within the community um some of them do want to go back in person um we agree to disagree but there's still a lot of love there and we i feel like when there's a lot of love there there can be a solidarity we can come up with a compromise and I think that that is what I also want to talk about is making sure that the media doesn't betray us in a certain negative light because a lot of us are parents, a lot of us are constituents. So therefore, we look at this from a multi-tiered angle. 
So I think that's important. I also will say with Anthony, I've been reached out from bus drivers to nurses to all staff and we're all on the same page. It's not just the teachers that are afraid, it's the bus drivers. There's no social distancing on the bus bus drive. They have no plan. And the little things that I might hear like, oh, they're going to park their bus for it so kids can have Wi-Fi. That is so, the it's, unbu- it's debunked. There's, that's a myth. There's nothing going on like that. They are just really simply going to risk the marginalized students, teachers, staff, and they, 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 they don't care at all. And that is just, it, 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 it really blows my mind. It blows my mind. And, you know, personally, when I really realized just how far they were willing to go with it, you know, I did my postings out there on social media and, you know, um, folks, I really got a good taste of what some of my neighbors really thought about what I was trying to do and apparently what they thought of me, you know, and, and it was an interesting feel because I really thought that all of us were of one mind that together we can figure it out, right? You know, we, we do know there have to be solutions for some of you. But for the most of us, for the most part, most of us can't go back. We can't. There's no way we can follow the CDC guidelines. It's totally impossible. But when you start saying things like, you're going to kill a bus driver, they don't care. When you start saying things like, you're going to kill a teacher, they say, well, they're essential workers and, you know, they should just get another job. The callousness blew me away. Change, that's a change from March. That's a change from March. In March, yes. we were heroes. You were heroes. Superheroes. Pay us more. Look at what you're doing. We want to give, take our kids forever. We can't deal with them anymore. Now you're supposed to be a nanny. And if you don't do the nanny job, then you need to quit and go do something else. It's either a choice between possible death and not paying the rent, or something like that, or oh, you can just go and oh, I don't know, you know, clean or something, whatever. They I really... will say this: teachers, on average, educators hold the highest level of degrees in this country. So we're I mean, not really. talking about nannies. That's the crazy part. You're talking about educated. <laughs> and let's, be, let's be real clear on that. Let's be real clear on that, folks. You know, real clear. We are record. not nannies. You know, you're not nannies. You are thoroughly educated people. So like this, like I was getting ready to say, right? You know, I'm starting to ruckus and my phone keeps ringing. The phone, it's Dr. Such and Such. And then I get another call. This is Dr. I have been called by more doctors since I started making noise than I ever have been in my entire life. And all of you are educators. You You are dipped in and thoroughly immersed. All of you, you've put in time, you've put in work, you deserve better. You deserve better. And I'm going to just keep saying that because it's, it's important. It must be said. And, you know, Thursday, wherever y'all at, you know, D. Brown is always down. Now, um, I'm on the thing to speak. And I ain't going to be there. Now, you know, usually I would be there in person, but I'm not going to be there this Thursday on purpose. Because given the fact that the infection rates just keep going up, they shouldn't be there either. They are continuing to show a total disregard and lack of critical thinking. And I find it just, it's totally irresponsible. And it blows me away. But okay, you know, um, we need to switch topics. You know, I wanted to give us enough time to talk about that because this is the thing of the moment. But you guys started this not to address a global pandemic. So 
you know, we definitely want to get a bit of time in to talk about, you know, um, what Gwinnett Equity for Justice is really all about. And, and did I get the full name right? I want to make sure I'm saying this right for the listeners. Uh, Gwinnett Educators for Equity and Justice. No, I'm here. That's, that's close enough. We're just glad to be mentioned. We're, we're glad to be here. <laughs> we in the house. I've been to a couple of your events. Like I said, you guys are knocking it out the park. You know, tell me, where, this, where, where did this come from? What's the point? Yeah. Point and purpose. Why? Why are you doing this? Well, well, first, let me say the equity piece, the interview is great because our first meeting with Will Banks, um, he started, his first question was, well, first, do you even know if we going back in the schools? Do you know how many teachers are not coming back? He, he was realizing we can't even talk about the equity without talking about the safety. So mm-hmm. we're absolutely, we're eye to eye on that. But where this all started, well, um, we have been young educators, products of the system. Um, and very early on as black educators, as low-income educators, we realized um, that uh, there are a lot of inequities in Gwinnett County um, that have to be fixed. Um, I, being at Peace Ridge, I think being at a model high school, um, a lot was put on my shoulders as a black educator, um, but a lot was ignored. A lot, it was like I was in the twilight zone where I could only see the issues my kids were experiencing. Um, and, and the damage and violence that was um, uh, being enacted on them by this world-class educational system. Um, and I knew being in the northern part of the county, um, if I had gone there to Peachtree Ridge, I would never have received any of the opportunities. Not, not a full ride scholarship, not AP credits out of the Yahoo, none of that um, that I received at Burkmar. So uh, I think what really lit the fire this, this past summer is the George Floyd lynching. And I was, when, when, when it happened, I, of course, as a black person, isolated myself um, from whiteness, from the white world, from white environments. And then I realized, well, personally, I have to get ready to get, go back to a white environment, but so do these black boys and girls. Yeah. And I, I lost a, a student last um, November to a tragic um, car accident. And one of the things as a biracial black girl, she used to talk about all the time is how many teachers didn't call on her when she had her hand raised, how this is a common problem, right? How many times she asked to be recommended to honors courses and was not, how many opportunities, how many times she was passed over for opportunities just because of who she was. And that might happen in pockets, right? That, that, that might be, they're microaggressions, right? but they're beating the spirits out of our kids. It's called what Dr. Bettina Love calls spirit murdering our kids. So not only do you have these harsh uh, um, uh, disciplinary inequities, uh, attesting inequities, not only do you have the systemic issues, but on a day-to-day basis, we are telling our black boys and girls, they do not belong in public schools. They're not meant for them. And so my biggest concern was starting some pressure, and I was ready. Arian knows we were ready to do it with four people, okay? <laughs> with, uh, with, with whoever could show up, we were ready to revolutionize the, the conversation of Gwinnett so that the focus would be on how to best serve these kids who are traumatized, who are under attack, right? And the conversation, I was ready, we were ready to take that all over. We got kids, brown kids getting caged. We have trans kids uh, and gay kids getting thrown out of their parents' homes and eventually not living past 35 years old, 
right? It is a war on our most marginalized kids. And I think it all hit this summer. And we brought together educators. We had newly activated white educators. We had pissed off black educators. And we brought us all together and we said, how do we change this school system so it is better conducive to the majority of kids, which are now black and brown? We don't serve majority white kids. So why is our school system set up like it is? We don't serve majority um, middle class kids. So why is our school system set up like that? And, and we released four priorities around implicit bias training, culturally relevant education, um, advisory councils on equity and justice, and uh, retention and re uh, recruitment plans for black educators that we think would push racial justice and achieve racial equity within the county um, in a way that had never been done before. And we started with a Facebook group, it's now grown to about 700, uh, 1,700 people. Um, we have uh, contacts all throughout the county working at different uh, schools that we we never thought we could get into Gwinnett County or uh, North Gwinnett or Mill Creek the first year. Um, and we're working with the county collaboratively in some way, pushing them um, and, and applying pressure in other ways. But we got an agenda and we are not stopping. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've got a ethnic studies course, um, a multicultural literature course. Uh, the chief equity officer has um, uh, taken our advice on the systemic equity plan. We have actionables and wins um, after, what has it been, three months? I don't even know. <laughs> like yesterday, <laughs> like yesterday, um, we were we were pushing the conversation and, and shifting the culture in a way that was not possible a year ago. That is absolutely amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Erin, anything to add to that? Hang on, hold your applause. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree with everything Anthony said. It's just I am also Guanitian. I went to Brookwood, but I was a Title One student there. My mom was a peer pro and I was able to go to school on a permissive transfer. So just like Anthony says, it's very hard to cater to those Title I students in a very, very privileged school. Um, I did have white allies on my side that were teachers that did push me up the AP track. And so I was able to, I guess, experience a life that most BIPOC students did not get to experience at these privileged schools. I will say um, there were points where I could not get some of the Title I benefits in the sense of going to certain programs, um, getting those full paid scholarships. I also didn't have much conversation with my counselor and just basically mentored me on where to go to school. So things were rather difficult in a sense. And so I always knew when I was um, in college that there was time, there was a time where I was going to have to stand up for people that looked like me. Um, when Anthony brought this amazing opportunity um, right after grad school, I was like, okay, Anthony, I'm, I'm down to help out with whatever I can. I would have never, never, never known that um, it would have everything would have unfolded the way that it did. Um, being able to sit at the table, really taking our, our own seats, building our own table, inviting people to our table um, has been very, very um, interesting. There's been times where I will say that all four of us couldn't even eat because we were so nervous. Um, we're such novices in the sense of um, education. This is going on my third year. Um, I'm at Central Gwinnett High School, so I do serve Title I students. Um, before these three years, I didn't even know Title I existed in Gwinnett County. It wasn't even in my sphere. 
of even um, knowing. And so it's just very important to understand that most of us Black kids, even if we were at privileged schools, were still probably a, had a little bit less than a lot of these um, students that did have resources that they could use. And so just seeing yourself in these students every day does make you want to go out there and do the best that you can to be helpful in any way possible. So that is the reason why I got into this equity work. I'm very, very excited to be here. I will actually say that I feel like I'm living now, not just existing because I'm here for a greater purpose. And so um, I, I can only thank God and my ancestors for um, really standing in the gap um, with this magical time because to be honest, without God, without whoever anybody believes in, we wouldn't have made it this far. Um, this is not even normal. When we talk to certain, um, I guess, teachers and educators that have been in the field for a long time, especially within Gwinnett County, they are amazed that we have gotten so much leadway at, at this point, at this juncture. So I know that this is ordained and that this is the time and the time is now in order to push this equity work, to push this justice work out and make an equal footing or equitable footing for the students that absolutely need it. Erin so. gets deep, y'all. She be getting deep, y'all. So <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Erin, we were You know what? Here's the deal, right? Divine influence, whether you believe or you don't, preparation and opportunity do coincide at the crossroads. And yes. you are indeed at the crossroads. And you're the folks that are ready for it. That's the bottom mm -hmm. line. You're ready and you're acting on it. And the blessings are plain and evident. You're making fast progress. And it's fast. all necessary. It's all necessary. I want to unpack something real quick that you guys talk yeah. about. It's clearly in your pat platform. So, you know, we're talking about closing ideological divides and when people are on the other side and they don't see or understand where you're coming from, they question. They want to know why. You know, why, why, why does this have to be important? Why? Uh, you got black kids at a good school and they're making a lot of money at that school. And schools get a lot of money. What, what, what is this culturally re relevant education thing? Why? What's that about? Why, you know, you, you guys just looking for, for something. You already got everything you need. You live up here. You know, talk to me a little bit about why. That's so deep, though. That's isn't, isn't a black history class racist? Why do we need black history classes? Absolutely. I get you. Erin, you want to, I, I think that's her, um, that's your community, right? Yes, I will talk about this. Um, as a African-American, I feel part of the lost people. When people talk about, I don't have that country of origin. Even if I was to trace back my um, DNA, which I will eventually, I'm not quite sure now that there's a little controversy going on with it, but <laughs> right, if right. I was to tra uh, track my DNA and actually go back in Africa, would I be accepted? There's so many divides up against black people throughout the diaspora that we do not have a collective um, I would say ideology, we, we don't see the eye to, eye to eye, we don't see each other as equals, and therefore sometimes I feel lost. So the reason for a Black ethnic studies course is for a student to actually see themselves within the pedagogy. I think that is very, very imperative for students to actually connect with this material and actually find a reason why to love it. It's really hard for me as a social studies teacher to get my students to connect world history U.S. history, political science, and economics. Together, they're a whole, but separate, they're broken. 
There's no yes. way to actually right. tell the full story if we don't allow students to really realize that their history is important and that their history matters. So as even a BIPOC, if we're thinking about Latinx students, I was looking at the, um, the I guess, uh, demographics as well it, within this country, as well as the statistics around graduation rates. Mm -hmm. And around 57.1% of Latinx students actually graduate. If they're not seeing themselves within the classroom, if they constantly see themselves um, being torn out of classes, their parents being torn out of work due to situations with ICE, they are no longer going to connect. And so if we don't, as educators, and I come from a 44% pretty much African-American school and like a 37, 38% Latinx school. So it's important for me to actually make sure I cater my pedagogy towards them. That was one of the first things that I asked them when I got in the classroom on Zoom. I said, you guys, drop your ethnicity in the chat. Drop it in the chat. I'm going to go find some information. I'm going to plug it in because it's important to understand that you and your ancestors has been here since the beginning of time. People do not want to tell you this. Um, this Eurocentric pedagogy, center pedagogy, um, has really whitewashed and destroyed a lot of people's views on what it what it is to be what it is to study history. People don't love history anymore. People don't like history anymore. I love history. I breathe history. I love politics. I breathe that because I found myself within there. I didn't find myself within there at Brookwood. I found myself in there at Clark Atlanta. Find a way or make one, baby. That is where I found myself. And then I found myself at Georgia State when I went in minor in African-American studies and there I found out who the essence of who I was. I had confidence because I knew that I was standing on the backs of my ancestors. I was standing on the backs of these people that have been eaten up by dogs and, and washed down with water hoses. It is time to show the students their history and therefore they're going to have to carry the torch. I'm almost 30 years old. I'm going to run with this torch maybe a little 20 years and then I got to pass it. It's time. I got to make sure that Gen Z is ready. They're ready to dissent. They're ready to stand up against certain laws, unjust laws, unequitable laws, and do what they can do. I have to teach them um, how to be civically, civic-minded. And yeah. we need to re-examine uh, and change what it means to be civ the, the term civic education. No longer can it mean what the founders meant it to be, which was racist, just, which was just sexist, mm -hmm. and just everything in general, we have to make sure that the students are seeing themselves in the classroom. They will never connect to education. They will never find a reason to be highly educated. And we know that this is one of those tickets out. Absolutely, absolutely. So I want to ask you a question again from the divide standpoint. We're talking about altering and changing the pedagogy. Well, and we know we need this for people of color. Latinx, Black, African-American, however you want to call us. But is this for white people too? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I say that because, I mean, I'm, I can count on one hand how many white students I've taught over the last four semesters. It's not a lot. But, but the biggest thing, and I connect with them, and some of them, their parents are Trump supporters. They come in with an obvious bias that, that comes out. 
but they leave the classroom after having majority uh, classmates of color, after having a black educator, um, um, they leave the classroom able to have conversations about race, having to have conversations about diversity. They, we have a World Food Day at the end of the semester and the, uh, the white students usually say, well, I don't have any culture. I don't have any traditions to, you know, to bring food. I just bring something. But, but the fact that they can talk about that and, and, and see, okay, my culture is versus yours and, and, and see the story of whiteness. And that's very powerful for them. It's life changing for them to, to finally hear that their society, their culture is not superior to everyone, that their culture is equal to everyone, that they can learn and and, and uh, take from every single culture in history. I think that's where learning comes in. That when white students finally begin to unpack their biases and their privileges, they're starting to learn true history and they're making room for their fellow classmates to do the same. I mean, it is very powerful. Uh, if, 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 a, if a white parent, and this is, this is where um, we're doing tr a lot of work, white parents have to understand the benefits of seeing their kids go to diverse schools because they're not. Um, uh, Duluth High School, the number one, the, the most diverse school in the state is bleeding, is leaking white students, right? It used to be a nice little pie and guess yeah. which part is shrinking right now? Same thing with Peachtree Ridge. White parents are making a decision that they do not want their kids to go to diverse schools. The thing though, I think that that's, that might be turning people off is our tactic. So we're dismantling the Gwinnett way, right? And we're doing it very loudly. And that's why you have to learn history because history is nothing but power and then shifts in power based on movements. And if you understand that, you understand that we are not gonna get anywhere by you doing quiet things, by you being quiet. That's not how change works. Change is very loud. And guess what? We haven't even gotten to the loud part yet. <laughs> we have just gotten started. And so that's the other thing about, um, again, showing all students, including white students, uh, who are the role models in our society that we lift up? So as teachers, are you lifting up uh, Zora uh, Neil Hurston? Are you lifting up A. Philip Randolph? Are you lifting up diverse uh, voices? Um, and we know our classrooms are not. So I would challenge a lot of people that ask where we, why we need this. Have you looked at the standards? And world history, the world, the 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 story of world history is uh, every every. Let's look at every society and how the Europeans messed them up. Do you think that's empowering to to a Latinx student or an African student? That they just they don't we don't get to talk about the royalty and the the, the contributions that that even the worst part of European history the Middle Ages gets an entire unit European history gets an entire class uh, and then we went to go into U.S. history you have almost fifty white men represented two black people two women I know y'all can guess which black people Dr. King and Barack Obama of course who else to represent us. Um, and, and so that's not, we're not just talking about the deficit in learning and education. Uh, we're talking about, because we know a lot of our white students are gonna go to positions of power and privilege. We know we are most likely to have bankers and lawyers and CEOs in our classrooms. Or we know that. And so are we really gonna change the future if we don't uh, educate our, uh, who's likely to be our leaders?
right? These, these white people, these white students who are going on to hold positions of power, when you give them an equity mindset as well, that's where we can have change happen. Because Arians just, we have to have white allies and co-conspirators in this work or we are gonna be hamsters on a wheel. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, you're right on time. I know you, I need to, I need to, you know, someone stepped in. I don't know if you saw a step in, Anthony. But <laughs> yeah. Luke Brown, we see you back there. What's oh, up, yeah. what's up? There he is. <laughs> I didn't hear the introductions. I've been out exercising, so. But I've been listening to the whole thing. You know what I've been thinking? That's my student. <laughs> <laughs> and it came a long way. Make you proud. <laughs> all right, you all are both just amazing. It, this is just, is this is this. My heart is just warm. Just sitting here listening to the two of you. That is amazing. They're getting it done. Yeah, they're yeah. getting it done. All right, don't, don't make us cry. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. I want to give each of you a final word before we close out this episode. I mean, you've said so much, you've unpacked so much. I mean, it's just, it's just powerful. It's powerful what you're doing. And again, I, I can't thank you enough. So Arian, why don't you go first, please? Um, absolutely. So what I will say is this work is not for the faint hearted. <laughs> There's been plenty of self-reflections, meditations, tears, um, heartache, um, I'm starting to realize that this is an endurance race and not a sprint. Um, it's really protecting my mind and making sure that I'm focused on the goal, um, making sure that equity and justice is within my lens whenever I am doing anything. Um, even with the COVID situation, I am glad that we were you were able to invite us on so we could have a conversation about equity and justice Recently, we were still having that conversation. What I really did um, think it's important to center it around our four um, goals and our priorities that we are trying to accomplish um, now. I will say um, we have more allies than we do have people that disagree with us. And they take shape and take form in so many different ways. And just the outpouring of love that I have received recently um, has kept me going. I think just the support, even if it is just a word like, oh, thank you for what you do, or um, I want to help out, how can I help out, um, it has really carried such a long way with me. Um, I'm grateful, um, and I'm thankful, and I'm also just at the tip of the iceberg. I can only imagine how the civil rights um, leaders at that time experienced what they experienced. Um, and that I'm just grateful that even within this work, I can still channel some of those, that energy. And so I'm just proud to be here. I'm proud to be an educator. I'm a proud black woman educator. And I will teach at the intersection as long as I'm here on this earth. And I will champion for my marginalized students as well as my privileged students because everybody deserves equity and i feel like there's a spot for everybody within this movement it's not about being bipoc it's just um, about being a human and realizing that it is time to stand up against the top one percent and that no longer can you hold us 
us down and suppress our voices. No longer are you going to be able to get away with this without looking in the mirror. And I hope to be the mirror for the rest of my time on this earth. Thank you. Outstanding. Amen, Ari, and amen. <laughs> I don't know how to follow You got to come after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, Arian, is, she, she's a beautiful spirit, as y'all see. Um, but I'm, a, I'm an abolitionist teacher which means that I'm fighting for the educational freedom of my kids. I want to dismantle the, the parts of the system that are not working, uh, enhance the parts that are. I think with the COVID situation, we don't have uh, testing um, from the state or the district. Um, our kids, uh, we can build strategic partnerships with our parents and our kids. Um, and that's where we can start rebuilding and reimagining much of the educational space um, but the onus is not just on teachers, on students, on parents, on those connected to the schools. Every single one in Gwinnett lives near a school, within a mile of school. That's how many uh, uh, schools we have because we have so many kids. And so at a certain point, and the point is now, the community is going to have to come together and speak out very clearly about what we want out of our educational system what kind of kids we want to go on to be leaders in our communities, to be uh, teachers, to be janitors, to be clerks, uh, to be presidents, to be CEOs. We need uh, uh, students to revolutionize our entire society, which means that our community has to stand up very clearly and demand just that. We have deep changes in the community. And I will say, this is a battle for the soul of the county. We're fighting an old fashioned way of doing stuff. And that's why we will not quit. We're not going anywhere. And we're going to do with radical love. I want people that don't agree with us to know we have the most radical form of love for our students, for ourselves, and for our jobs. And we're not letting up. Well, that is what's up. Radical love. Um, I've got nothing else to add. So I'm going to give you to stick around for a minute afterwards. But thank you so much for being on the show. It has been absolutely outstanding. We will go ahead and go through the production process and uh, get this out as soon as possible. We'll send both of you a link. But again, look, folks, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And I know at the end of the day, not only will the county appreciate it, but as this movement escalates, I think you're going to have a nationwide exposure. I just, I just see it for you. I really do. We would like to thank Arian and Anthony for being on the show and for doing the incredibly difficult work of bringing equity and justice to our education system. Work that without question will make for a better, brighter America. And remember, if we're going to close the divide and make policy that benefits all Americans, then truly, we have to do the work. Engage, conversate, clarify, question. Have the courage to step out and always vote. And you, Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. So please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Edge the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at edgetheedges.com. Check us out and pick up some of that swag that will express your commitment to the cause. The cause of a better America where we all can stand at the mountaintop. Do it for America. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.